0: it's monday october 11th i'm oscar ramirez in los angeles and this is the daily dive the debt limit has been extended and kicked down the road to december so get ready for some more fighting very soon mitch mcconnell says that republicans won't vote to extend it again putting all the pressure on democrats to pass it through reconciliation republicans are hoping to use the rising debt as an issue during the midterms ginger gibson Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for the ongoing fight, how the Build Back Better plan will be slimmed down, and thousands of US service members have yet to be fully vaccinated despite upcoming deadlines. Next, America's supply chain is broken, and there's no better example than looking at all of the ships sitting off the coast of California. The pandemic has caused a major shift in consumer spending, and it triggered a huge influx of imports, and it's all bottlenecked due to a lack of coordination and worker shortages. Ships are at ports waiting to be unloaded. Not enough workers there can offload containers in a timely manner. And a shortage of truck drivers is delaying shipments to the rest of the country. This all results in price hikes for everyone and possible shortages for holiday shopping. David Lynch, global economics correspondent at the Washington Post, joins us for the broken supply chain. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What is needed now is a long-term solution so we don't go through this risky drama every few months and we hope republicans will join in enacting a long-term solution to the debt limit in december we're ready to work with them. joining us now is ginger gibson deputy washington digital editor at nbc news thanks for joining us ginger thanks for having me well the debt limit conversation continues to be ongoing uh, the ongoing fight in washington democrats and republicans made a deal but all they did was extend the limit until december so the big question is what's going to happen next it's a big political calculation is really what's happening moderate democrats are kind of worried about what's going on mitch mcconnell said that republicans aren't going to help out that next time and uh, we're going to see the same fight all over again in december
1: You're right. What's going to happen in December is the big question. And the fact is, Republicans nor Democrats seem to know the answer to this. This has been a lot of political positioning by both sides on something that is really sort of mandatory. Congress has to do it and not particularly unusual. They've raised the debt ceiling several times every three or four years, really, for the last decade or more. This should be something that isn't hard, but they're making it harder. And that's because Republicans think that they can criticize Democrats in the election for this vote. And for that reason, they're not giving them any help.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really all about the midterms. And as we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, they want to force Democrats to create a number. We're going to raise the debt limit by whatever number of billions of dollars. And that's really what they want to stick them with.
1: You're right. This is something that Republicans think is a strong position for them politically. Democrats have said that they're going to pass another large, hefty spending bill. This isn't related to that. Republicans think they can tie the two of them together in voters' minds and make this about Democrats generating debt for the country. It's long been a Republican talking point that what Democrats are doing are going to cost our children and our grandchildren. You know, they, they use that line all the time. And this is an example of where they think they can really make that resonate. And they can convince voters next year in the midterms that uh, Democrats are just going to keep running up the tab if they stay in power and that they need to elect Republicans to Congress as a sort of check. Um, so I think we're going to be hearing them make that argument and make that argument about the debt ceiling. I think that what we saw last week was Republicans sort of tipping their hand a little, at least inside Washington. They don't want the debt ceiling to not be passed. They know it has to be passed. They know this is really a mandatory move, but they want to make them squirm as much as they can in the process.
0: Well, with this deal now kicked to December, it bought Democrats some time to talk a little bit more about Biden's build back better plan. Everybody kind of agrees. You know, we've been talking about that number, $3.5 trillion. Everybody kind of agrees now it's going to be pared down. The big question is now, what will that final, final number be? And what programs are going to be cut? That's the important one that nobody seems to agree on.
1: Yeah. Imagine trying to put together, you know, a 3000 or a $6,000 budget for your house in a month and then imagine how difficult that would be. And then think about doing three and a half trillion dollars of spending. I mean, this is really sort of a big behind the scenes fight we're seeing between Democrats. And as one of my colleagues pointed out in an article uh, on NBCnews.com, there's a division between Democrats. The moderates want a few big programs that are last a long time. And the progressives want a lot of programs that might have sunset clauses. They think if they pass programs that are popular, a lot of programs that are popular, yeah. future Congresses, the Congresses of the future will feel compelled to keep them. So that's really where the division is. And uh, some of the more moderate Democrats say, no, let's just do a couple of really transformative programs, a handful of things keep them in place. Don't worry about them being expired in the future, maybe running out of money when Republicans are in charge and they won't reauthorize them. And then we can ensure these programs will last for a long time.
0: And in particular, climate change is a big one with all of these programs. I mean, when you're talking about policies that will really make an impact, they're long-term policies. They're things that need to be borne out over many, many years. So the the climate change policies are a particular uh, point of contention on
1: this one. That's right. I mean, we're not going to flip a switch next week and go suddenly to all renewable energies. It's a long process. There's a lot of cars on the road burning gasoline and a lot of products we use in our day to day life that are derivatives of petroleum. And so it's going to take a long time to get rid of coal, to switch our energies and our grids. And you can't do that overnight. And so that's part of the argument that is being had. The climate piece was something that Democrats really felt was important in this bill because it didn't get in the infrastructure, that separate bill that's roads and bridges and ports and airports um, and they felt that it was important to have it there so i think we're going to see a lot of sort of jockeying over that particular budget line item
0: i wanted to bring up an interesting covid update uh, with regards to the military so right now we're seeing a lot of these deadlines for these mandatory vaccinations come due pretty soon you know it's a wide swath of deadlines for the military depending on which branch you're in but right now we're seeing hundreds of thousands of us service members that are still unvaccinated or just partially Vaccinated. So we have like the Navy uh, at 90%, Army at 81%, Marine Corps at 76.5%. And way at the bottom, we're seeing uh, uh branches like uh, the Army Reserve, Army National Guard, uh, Marine Corps Reserve. Those are all about 40%. Their deadlines don't come until June 2022, but some of these other ones, the uh, deadlines are just weeks away.
1: Yeah, and the and the and the repercussions for the guard may be different than what it, they would be for an active duty military. The Pentagon has said there will be punishment for those members at the active duty who don't get vaccinated, but I think we're seeing sort of play out On a large scale with the military, 2 million active troops who the government has told need to get inoculated against COVID-19, sort of what we're seeing in society. A lot of people who say, "Okay, well, if you tell me I have to, I'll go get it. But then a group of the public that say they won't. I mean, I believe that the Navy said that 98 percent of the current active duty Navy have gotten at least one dose. Um, So uh, that's what it's looking like in other places when we see medical facilities where um, just a small fraction of the, the medical Medical staff or schools or another example aren't getting vaccinated or refusing to do so but there's going to be i think those folks are going to be interesting to see how the repercussions play out what people do after um they've lost their jobs or they yeah. they've been sanctioned by the military because i think this is serious and and this is sort of the next step we, we saw a lot of carrot inducements <laughs> of, for people to get get vaccines and now i think the sticks are coming out
0: ginger gibson deputy washington digital editor at nbc news thank you very much for joining us
2: Thanks for having me. And this system is designed to work like runners in a relay. I run my lap, then I hand the baton to you, you run your lap, etc. When I'm done with my lap, if you're not there waiting to take the baton, we've got a problem.
0: Joining us now is David Lynch, global economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, David. Sure. Let's talk about the supply chain. You know, throughout the pandemic, pretty much every industry had been hit very hard. Supply chain issues were popping up all over the place. I think the country kind of started getting a, a better understanding and education on what was going on. We were seeing backlogs, you know, from everything. Right, uh, the great uh, toilet paper shortage and how manufacturing was slowed down. But right now, what we're seeing is that problem continuing to persist. And one of the key things that everybody's seeing is all of these shipping containers off the coast of California with tons of containers on them, just waiting, waiting to be moved inland, waiting to be shipped across the country. And we're just seeing how everything's been clogged up. Nobody really knows how to fix it. We're seeing shortages of uh, truck drivers, all sorts of things really compounding on top of each other. So David, help us walk through with how the supply chain has been broken so badly.
2: Sure. Well, it's as you say. This has been going on really since the beginning of the pandemic, when Chinese factories shut down during the initial lockdowns to try and uh, beat back the uh, the virus. And the disruptions that started from that have just been rippling through. Uh, you know, we Americans have been trapped in our homes, uh, many of us, for much of the last year or so. And so, rather than spending money at restaurants, ball games, movie theaters, we were spending it on stuff. Everybody was buying a new iPhone or a laptop or a, a desk so they could work from home or a new furniture to make the house more comfortable. And all that stuff comes from China and Southeast Asia by and large. And so the normal seasonal patterns have been completely disrupted. That means a lot of the equipment that's needed once the shipping containers get onto land, the trucking, the chassis, you know, really every piece of the of the chain has been discombobulated, has been put out of sync. And this system is designed to work like runners in a relay. I run my lap, then I hand the baton to you, you run your lap, etc. When I'm done with my lap, if you're not there waiting to take the baton, we've got a problem.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, you know, the, obviously we know how big of a shift the pandemic was, right? Things stopped in its tracks and our spending habits changed just that Quickly, And as you said, you know, the more demand for all that stuff, whatever it was, you know, started kind of exposing all of the problems in that supply chain, ruining that relay race, as you just said. Okay, so let's talk about the U.S. and how we handle this stuff. It seems like we've never been particularly good at the flow of this, at least when it comes to coordination and information sharing. And that's part of the big problem why things are so backlogged.
2: On the one hand, the system does a, a, a pretty good job of working under normal conditions, pre-pandemic. None of us had much trouble getting our hands on the stuff we wanted. But relative to an optimal system, the, for instance, comparing a, a U.S. port to a top-line port in Europe or Asia, we're we're not where we should be. You know, for a country that prides itself on high technology, we don't have fully deployed the sort of seamless information systems, databases, all the high-tech wizardry that would allow everybody who's involved along the supply chain to see the same information at the same time, to be able to track containers, to track equipment, so that everybody has full visibility into what's happening. We're not as good at that right now as others are. And some of that's because of data privacy concerns, competitive concerns. If I'm a retailer, I might worry that if, if you, the uh, you know, at the port, have full visibility into what I'm ordering and when it's coming, you know, that might be useful information for my competition to have. There are ways around that, but we need what, what experts tell me is we need to get beyond those concerns, resolve them, and put in place the sort of systems that others already have deployed.
0: Right now, we're seeing a huge backlog on the West, ports in L.A., Long Beach, all that uh, is this happening all over the country? Why are we seeing this mostly off the coast of California?
2: Well, because that's where that's where cargo from Asia lands in the U.S. That so all the all the factories in coastal China, Vietnam, Cambodia. Southeast Asia, all across that part of the world, when container ships pick up the cargo there, they take it to l a Long Beach to a lesser extent as those ports have gotten crowded, they move up the coast to Oakland and Seattle, but those facilities are are farther away from the consumer heartland and are not as as big as l a and Long Beach. Now you are seeing the port of Savannah, for instance, has got a lot of ships waiting offshore, nothing like L.A., but relative to Savannah's normal operations, they're seeing a lot of uh, demand. Uh, and up to New York as well, even Houston, some of the ships that were diverted through the Panama Canal that would have normally have gone to the West Coast, that came up through the canal and, and hit uh, our Gulf boats, uh, ports there. So you've seen the congestion spread in that regard. You know, this is an unusual, obviously an unusual episode, but it's exposed some some vulnerabilities in the system that uh, that need to be addressed going forward.
0: Yeah, you made note in the article, the U.S. is importing a historic amount of goods and that L.A. port is expected to handle a record 10.8 million containers this year. I mean, obviously, that's just a ton. Let's talk about costs, because cost of all the shipping stuff has gone up tremendously, $20,000 for a container. You made mention that it's twice what it costs in July, and that's twice what it costs in January. So the, the prices of shipping have con- gone up exponentially, and it's uh, obviously affects smaller companies more than bigger players like you know Walmarts and stuff that can absorb those costs a lot easier.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you if you're a Walmart or an Amazon or Costco, you're able to sign long-term annual contracts with the ocean carriers, and because you bring them so much business, you're going to get a decent rate, and you're almost more importantly, you're going to have certainty that your stuff is going to get on their boats. If you're a smaller guy who's importing a hundred containers. Uh, In the course of a year, rather than hundreds of thousands of containers, then you're just not as important to the carriers. And so you might get bumped off a vessel as the carriers have uh, had to skip sailings because their boats are getting tied up. All those ships that are waiting off the coast of L.A., they should be already on their way back to get more stuff out of China. But they're not in position to do that. So somebody's got to lose out. It's not going to be Walmart. It's going to be the little guy. That forces the little guy into the spot market where he's got to pay through the nose. It's like trying to get to a ball game. You buy the tickets at the beginning of the season. You get one rate. If you want to buy a World Series ticket the day of the game, standing outside the stadium, you're going to have to pay a scalper, and that's going to cost more.
0: Tell me a little bit about just-in-time production, because I know that figures into a lot of the way Companies operate. It helps them keep inventories and costs low. But when things get backlogged like this, you know, it it really, you know, we start seeing some weaknesses in that. And you know, sometimes businesses have to turn down. Companies have to turn down business because they can't get the right ingredients, equipment to to complete their orders and stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we found that in in talking to companies uh, out in the Midwest to have their operations set up, and, and this is, you know, this was a great innovation because it it brought tremendous efficiency to production instead of keeping enormous stockpiles of material around. And if you do that, you've got to pay to store them. You've got to pay because you already purchased the stuff, but you're not getting paid for your goods yet. So just buying sort of as much as you need to produce this week's uh, output or this month's output was a great innovation. But again, it, it was efficiency at the cost of resilience. And so when something goes wrong, and the pandemic isn't the only thing that's ever gone wrong in history, we've had bad weather in Texas, which knocked offline petrochemical plants that produce a certain kind of resin that's needed for lots of industrial plastics. We've had earthquakes, we've had fires, all sorts of things can go wrong. And when they do, and when they disrupt this finely calibrated supply chain, that's when the problems arise.
0: Let's talk about one of the last cogs in this whole supply chain, which is the truck drivers, which we've seen shortages of, too. But, you know, as we've been talking about, right, there's backlogs at the ports. It takes time to get those uh, containers unloaded and onto trucks. And what we're seeing is just a big backlog of truck drivers waiting hours to get into the ports to get those uh, containers out of there. You talked about one man who was a truck driver and in normal circumstance, he can make seven round trips and an 11 hour workday to get those containers out of there. Now he's just doing one or two trips and spending time. I think he, he learned salsa uh, looking at YouTube videos or something. That's all the time he's kind of wasting just sitting there waiting to get in and out.
2: And and the important thing here is the way all of these disruptions feed on themselves, right? He can't get in and out of the rail yard as quickly as he'd like to to pick up containers because the rail yard is jammed with containers. And they're jammed with containers because the ports are dealing ultimately with record volume and sending in more stuff to the rail yard than they can process. That discourages the trucker. Uh, it discourages others from getting into truck driving because they look at what's going on and they say, "Well, geez, you know that's not easy money. I'm gonna I'll go do something else." Uh, and as you say, this you know the trucker we profiled is wasting so much time that he's you know he's listening to audio books and he's watching uh, Conan O'Brien uh, comedy bits uh, and, and uh, even learning how to how to dance the <laughs> salsa by watching uh, yeah. YouTube videos. But the trucking uh, situation is a a tough one because the trucking companies tell me that they're having a hard time getting young guys to come into the business because, you know, it's it's a tough way to make a living. Right. And the short haul guys, that's one thing. But those long haul drivers, when you're away from home four or five nights in a row, uh, a lot of guys
0: don't want to do that. David Lynch, global economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime.